Let's turn together to Luke 15. We're walking through the parables of our Lord in Luke's gospel. Today we're going to talk about lost things and found things. In our family, Joy is our go-to person when something's lost and the rest of us can't find it. We've come to believe that statement that we heard from someone that said, it's not truly lost unless mom can't find it. And so we have found that to be true. But isn't it fun, though, when you're the one to actually find something that you were looking for? My stepfather always used to say this, it's always the last place you look. I like that. That's, that's an obvious one. <laughs> it's always the last place you look. Well, in our family, I thought through, what are some of those things that we lost and then that we found that brought great excitement to us? And one of those that came to mind was Lauren, our youngest daughter, when she lost her baby blanket. She had a little blanket we called Blanky, a little 12 by 12 square of satin pink fabric that she was given as a little baby. And she was so accustomed to that, we didn't think she could actually sleep without it. I mean, she had demonstrated that is necessary to hold on to while sleeping. So there was this one time, we're about to put her down to sleep, where we could not find Blanky. And we knew how critical this was going to be and searched the house, couldn't find it. And then it dawned on us, you know, we did take a walk earlier in the day. And is it possible that Blanky fell out of the stroller somewhere on that walk. And so we left the house, went retracing our steps until sure enough, we found Blanky on the road. Thankfully not destroyed, really not dirty. We found Blanky came home, crisis averted. The other occasion I can think of when we had great rejoicing in finding something lost is when our beagle, the beagle prior to this beagle, this is the beagle Shelby where we used to live. When Shelby got loose, got out of the backyard and we had to go search for our beagle and we drove in our car to try to find this beagle. And finally, several streets over, we find our beagle there in the middle of the road and we can call her. She wags her tail, thankfully comes to us. But man, we were so excited. We had our precious dog back. Well, today Jesus is going to teach us that God loves finding lost people. You and I love finding things, and it makes us excited. We're going to see that in these parables. But the whole point is God loves finding lost people. And we're going to hear again a call to join God in that mission of finding lost people. So let's go together now. Luke 15, let's hear verses 1 through 10. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Consider with me here the context of these parables. 
It's there in verse 1. Jesus has been in the company of tax collectors and sinners. These spiritual outcasts were drawing near to hear Jesus. Verse 2, though, tells us that the Pharisees and the other religious leaders were not happy. Luke tells us they were grumbling. Their complaint was this. It's recorded in our text. This man receives sinners and eats with them. So these religious types, they were assuming that if Jesus were truly holy, he would want nothing to do with sinful people. They're assuming that if Jesus is around sinful people, he must approve of sin. Also, the idea that if Jesus likes being around sinners this much, then he must be a sinner himself. Now, Jesus was already familiar with this criticism. Even here in Luke's gospel, back in chapter 5, we already bumped into this, where Jesus was criticized because, well, first of all, he brought Matthew, one of the tax collectors, to believe and to be one of his disciples. And Matthew threw a party. All of his tax collector friends were there. Jesus was there and the same crowd, these religious people, very offended by this. This is Luke 5:30. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. So real quickly, he mentions here tax collectors. What's the significance of them? Well, everybody in those days in the Jewish culture, first century, they all really despised the tax collectors. These were those who worked for the Roman government, the oppressors, to collect taxes for them. So people considered a Jewish person collecting taxes as a traitor. How could you support the oppressors? They were also known to be dishonest because they would inflate the tax rate so that they would take the money from the top and then pass on to Rome what they required. Nobody liked them. We might say that people saw them as really super sinners. Everybody else sinners, but these are the worst of the worst. Nobody liked them. And here's Jesus sitting down with the tax collectors and the sinners. And so to explain why he does this, when criticized yet again for it, he gives us three parables to explain why. We're going to take on two of these parables today. We'll save one for next week. The first parable here is the parable of the lost sheep. The second is the parable of the lost coin. And next time we'll take on the parable of the lost son that we typically call the parable of the prodigal son. But here we take on here this parable of the lost sheep. Quite simple. So why are you hanging out with with these sinners? Why are you with these tax collectors? Jesus said, well, which one of you, if you had a hundred sheep and one of them got away, who wouldn't go after that one? You'd leave the 99 in safety. You'd go after the one. And if you found the one, you'd be very excited to have found it. Then he follows up immediately with another parable that just makes the same point. And what woman, if she had a, if she had 10 silver coins and lost just one of them, who, who wouldn't then turn the house upside down looking for that coin? By the way, that coin that Jesus would have in mind, we're not talking about the value of a nickel or a quarter for us. That silver coin in their time, that would be worth a day's wage. And so this is something of great value. And so we find here, Jesus talks about this woman. She'd find her coin. She'd come back excited to have found such a valuable coin in her house. She'd want people to celebrate with her. Now, from these two simple parables, there are several straightforward lessons for us as we apply this. The first point for us, we should see people the way that Jesus sees people. We should see people the way that Jesus sees people. And the first way we see that is that people are valuable to God. 
People are valuable to God. So the point of this is not how valuable sheep are or coins are, but people. Just as you and I tend to value certain things so much they will go searching for them, we see here that God values lost people like that. Now, do you know that? Do you know that people are valuable to God? God is our creator. He's the one who creates people. He creates people in his own image and he values them. He loves them. Even when those people, which is true of all of us, even when those people are sinful, though created in his image, we're marred now by sin. Even so, we're told that he values, even loves us. Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Famously, John 3, 16 and 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So we see the value that God places on sinful people in the fact that Jesus left heaven to come reach sinful people. Think about it. If Jesus didn't want to be around sinners, he would have just stayed in heaven because that's where holiness is. And those that are in heaven have been now glorified. There's no sin there. If he couldn't be and didn't want to be around sinners, just would have stayed there. But he came. He came and he became one of us in order to reach us. You look at his ministry. He didn't come to the earth and just kind of cloister himself away. He's constantly with people who didn't know the Lord. And so we find him previously, we saw him in the home of Pharisees, these, these religious lost people. By the way, you do know that's possible, right? You can be a religious lost person. So he would spend time with them. They were very antagonistic, but he'd spend time with them offering the truth. But here we find him in the home and in the company of irreligious lost people, people who actually were known for being sinners. So through, through these parables, Jesus is communicating that people are worth finding, that people are valuable for God. And we see that in his willing to, willingness to search for them. So you and I never search for something that has no value. So for instance, if I were drinking out of a styrofoam cup, which I basically did all morning, <laughs> drinking out of a styrofoam cup, if I lost that styrofoam cup, I would not go search for it. I'd get another because we have hundreds across the way. So of no value, I wouldn't say, let's halt the service. Everybody help me find the styrofoam cup I misplaced. Everybody that's disposable. Get a new one. Don't you notice with me, God does not view people like that. We're not insignificant, disposable. He describes here in these two parables and the one we'll see next week. He cares deeply about people. They're valuable to him and he's going to go for them. So we're just talking about how we need to see people the way God sees people and people are valuable to God. That's part of it. But these parables also show us this. If we're going to think like God thinks, we see this. People are lost without Christ. They're valuable to God. But part of the other part of the picture is people are lost without Christ. So Jesus describes people like straying sheep, like lost coins. Elsewhere in the Bible, we're told, here's the condition of human beings apart from Christ. We're blinded by our sin even dead in our sins. So we're of great value because we're created in the image of God, but we are lost apart from him. We're like sheep who've become lost because we've wandered away from the shepherd. Consider with me real sheep for just a moment. A lost sheep is in great danger because a lost sheep now is prey for wolves and other predators. But also we know this about real sheep. They're a danger to themselves when they don't have a shepherd. 
A sheep can fall down laden with all that wool and not be able to get up by themselves without a shepherd. We also find examples of this where we're told that sheep are so unwise, so foolish, that they will follow other sheep into harm. Even, even stories of them following one another off of a cliff. You would think an animal would see, well, that's not going well for that one. It's not going well for that one. But everybody's going that way, so it looks like that's where I go as a sheep. And they'll hurt themselves. They, they have a difficult time surviving without a shepherd. And likewise, people are like lost sheep in great danger without Christ. Much of our danger to ourselves apart from Christ is really self-inflicted. Jimmy Scroggins, a pastor in Florida, was the one who first came up with the, the way of sharing the gospel we call the three circles. And we use some of that same terminology with these wristbands that we encourage you to use. But the idea of focusing on brokenness with the lost person. So yes, in their sin, they're separated from God. But in that separated state in sin, there's brokenness. There. There's a lot of pain there. And some of that is self-inflicted. In fact, what we do as unbelievers before we come to crisis, we try to solve that brokenness that we all have by chasing the wrong things, which leads to more brokenness in us. So a person might recognize that if things aren't right in my life. I need to do something. I need to feel better. So some people will go after alcohol and drugs. And now on top of the problem they had that made them feel so bad, they now become addicted to something else. Now they have a worse problem than what they had at the beginning. Some people know not to go to the substances, but they'll go to relationships and they'll become promiscuous thinking, well, this will make me happy. I just want to feel better. And now they have the dysfunction of all that. Some people go into the idolatry and emptiness of materialism, but they end up hurting themselves and making matters worse. But the greatest danger is not just what we do to ourselves, but the greatest danger we know from the Bible is the judgment to come. Because every year we live apart from Christ, we heap up guilt upon ourselves for which we're going to give an account to our judge at the end. The scripture says clearly, it is appointed to the man to die once and then comes the judgment. We read elsewhere, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And for the unbeliever, we're told that they actually have a date before the great white throne. And that judgment, only unbelievers will be at the great white throne we read about in the book of Revelation. And the sentence for everyone there, because they've never trusted Christ, same sentence, the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death, a way of describing hell. So do you hear the danger with me? A person who doesn't know Jesus, they're apart from him. They're valuable, but in grave danger of eternal loss, but all the love of Jesus that we read here. In fact, in Luke 10, 19, 10, it says this, for the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. We're told that Jesus even says that he lays down his life for the sheep, all the love of Jesus. So you and I must see people the same way that he does. They're valuable but lost. Most people that we know have no idea how valuable they are to the Lord. And most people we know also have no idea just how lost they are apart from Christ. I think back to my beagle, Shelby, when she was missing. I don't know for a moment if she ever knew she was lost, you know, because she's a beagle. And once she got out of the gate, I'm sure she just followed scent after scent after scent until we find her, found her in the middle of the road, she looked kind of clueless when we found her. But she's a beagle. She always looked clueless. I don't know. I don't know what she was thinking. She might have had no idea. Like, this has been the greatest day of my life. But when we found her, thankfully, that little tail wagged. And we got her into the van. And we came home rejoicing. But I don't know. But, but people can be that way. Just as lost as they can be and have no idea. That's what sin does to us. It blinds us. I'm right. I'm fine. 
That's all, all of our testimonies, by the way, those of us who know Jesus, for, for a long time, a lot of us thought, I'm fine. If anybody's fine, I'm fine. I know I'm fine. Until the Holy Spirit shows us our sin, like, oh, I'm not fine. I cannot save. I am in deep danger. I need Jesus to rescue me. And so this is what we're dealing with when we deal with people. We, we look at the world around us and people that we know, and we think, how can they think that? That's just so absurd. That's so dangerous. Can they not see they're wrecking themselves, and we can't figure out where they're coming from? But we have to remember, oh, yeah, I used to be that way. Maybe it looked a little differently in some of our cases, but, but blinded, dead in their sin. So what we need to recover is a sense of compassion for lost people like Jesus had. Matthew 9, 36. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So as we apply this for a moment, would you examine your mind this morning? Would you exam examine your heart this morning toward unbelievers? And just check for this. Is it possible that your dominant emotion toward unbelievers in your life, is it possible that your dominant emotion is anger? Because that can't be. I understand the anger, but that shouldn't be our dominant emotion. Maybe in your driving around, if all you do is listen to talk radio, po political talk, then you come home in the evening and you watch political commentary on the television. Do you notice all those commentators are always angry? And listen, understand, when we hear what they're saying, like, that, that makes me angry too. But if that's all you're feeding yourself, you're going to be a very angry person and you're going to look at the world like, these are all my enemies out there. And you, you look at your Savior, Jesus isn't approaching it like that. I mean, he's the one who's going to judge the world. And even he's coming to be with sinners. And his dominant thing that he's presenting is not how angry he is. So you think of it again. Jesus came to this sinful world to be with sinners to give them an opportunity for everlasting life. And God has you in the world right now with the same mission. But if your dominant emotion is anger, then you'll have this as your impulse. I just want to get out of here. I know during one of the previous elections, I heard some people saying this, and I had the same inclination in me. Like, I just want to move somewhere else. You ever read that? I want to go to some place where everybody thinks like I think. Because I don't like being around us all, all this unrighteousness. Again, not, not judging anybody else for that because I had the same impulses in me. Until you remember, oh yeah, that's not the Christian move. Where I'm going to go retreat and find people who think like I think. Jesus left heaven to come to be among sinners to reach them. He's left us here. One day we'll be with him in heaven. But until then, we are not retreating. We're moving forward with the gospel toward lost people. Thinking of them like he does. We love them. But we have that temptation to anger and retreat. You ever pulled up to a traffic light and you see all the bumper stickers right there arrayed in front of you and they're all wrong? Some of them are mean. Some of them are profane. Some of them are geared against you as a believer. Sometimes, I haven't seen this one lately a lot, but you see the Darwin fish. You had the ichthus fish representing Christianity and then they put Darwin in there. You think, that's at me. They're, they're, they're jabbing me or some other message. And, and you have that impulse, like I'd like to bump that bumper, right? You, and that's not a godly impulse. But when we, when we kind of recover from our fleshliness, we go, wait a minute, this is a lost person in front of me. This person's advertising that they've never met Jesus. They're not born again. They're blinded by their sin like I used to be blinded by my sin. And we just constantly need to recover. How, how would Jesus approach this? So don't justify your anger. Of course, we, we can be angry about evil, of course. And we're grieved by what we see, of course. But look at Jesus here. If anybody had a reason just to be angry at all the sin, is Jesus who is the judge. So don't think you're holier than Jesus. Well, I'm angry. I'm going to stay angry because I'm a Christian. Well, your Savior didn't act like that. 
He's going to deal with it at the end of time in judgment. But listen, he's holy, holy, holy. He hates sin far more than you hate sin. He's going to judge the world, but he came to offer salvation. And this is our move. So remind yourself of Jesus as you walk among the earth here. Remind yourself that you too were once lost and blind and dead in your sins until Jesus found you. So we must see people the way Jesus sees people. Secondly, we must join Jesus in his mission to reach people. So Jesus calls us all to evangelism and missions. We see in Acts 1.8 that we're to be his witnesses. We see in Matthew 28, we're to go and make disciples of all the nations. Paul says we are ambassadors for Christ. And so we who have been found and saved by Jesus, now we're on a mission with Jesus to go reach people who were lost just like we once were. Like Jesus, we move toward unbelievers on a mission of mercy. And our mission can't be, well, let's just go find people who are already almost Christian, whatever that might mean. I want to find people who already think like I do. They're already pretty moral, pretty honest, kind of nice people to be around. We're just going to go after those. No, no, we're going to go after people who are lost and act like they are lost. We can't be passive about this because these two parables tell us about seeking. So we have a shepherd going intentionally seeking after a lost sheep. We have a woman turning her house upside down to find a lost valuable coin. This calls for, for intentionality from us. You ever had the occasion? It's a wonderful one. Probably happens once or twice in your whole life. When you pull something out of the closet, you haven't worn in a while. You put your hand in a pocket and there's something like a $20 bill in there. I found a 20. That's amazing. But that's not the type of searching we're talking about. That's just like, that was just literally dropped in your pocket. We're talking about something more than just passively. Hey, have lost people come? Great. Not that. But where we go to where they are and engage them in a loving conversation about Christ. Listen, as we apply this, let's think about several different spheres where we need to be thinking intentionally about taking this good news. First of all, let's think about North America. We're in the season of giving toward the North American missions offering. And we understand that there are 366 million people that live in North America. That is a huge number of lost souls. In fact, they tell us among the 366 million people, the estimate according to the North American Mission Board is that 275 million people are lost. They don't know Jesus in a real way, never have repented and believed in Christ. 275 million right here in North America. So right that we would sacrificially give and support church plants like we do even in the Richmond area to reach people. But it's not just North America. We want to take the gospel to the nations. There are lost people all over the world. We think about unengaged, unreached people groups that have no access to the gospel. We must keep sending missionaries. And some of you, I pray, God will call you to go as a missionary to the nations. Dr. Paul Chitwood, IMB president, member of our church here, recently was in Poland and, and on the border there with Ukraine and kind of looking at the relief efforts that we're doing as Southern Baptists along with other Christians. And isn't it wonderful to meet real pressing physical needs? Because we see those images on TV and we're so glad there's a way that we can help the suffering people with their immediate physical needs. But Dr. Chitwood would remind us, even in the midst of that misery, as we address that, their greatest need though remains spiritual Here's what he recently wrote. He said, a person's greatest problem has not changed even when they have escaped from a war zone. The greatest problem of every person and of the entire world is lostness. The gospel is the only solution to that problem. And the highest priority of the IMB and send relief is to share the gospel. So I love that we're doing both. Meet those immediate physical needs, but let's point them also at the same time to eternal hope through faith in Jesus Christ. 
In fact, the IMB will tell us that right now one of the things going on in Ukraine is a social media strategy, kind of advertising on social media about hope for Ukraine. 274,000 people have clicked on a website there from that. So that's not just scrolling by, but took the initiative to click on it. Among those people, 33,550 have initiated a private message to know more about Christ. Isn't that amazing? In the midst of a war zone, 33,550 have initiated a private message to know more about a relationship with Christ. There are 22 Ukrainian Christians who are helping Southern Baptist missionaries and others reach out to these people who are inquiring about Christ. We're just talking about there are lost sheep, even in the middle of a war zone, and we're to move toward people like that. One other sphere we can talk about, not just geography, but all, how, about, how about generations? We sometimes think about ourselves. Some people are boomers, Gen Xers, millennials, Gen Z, and whatever's going to come behind Gen Z. Millennials, by the way, are not as young as maybe you thought. Some of you older members, you think, those millennials, those young people. Do you know the, the millennials are now age 40 down to about age 26? They're, they're not that young. But then there's Gen Z. And that's age 25 and under. And we notice there are generational differences. And sometimes there's generational strife. So older people might think, I don't, I don't like those young people. And I don't like the way they think and what they do. And I don't want to be around them. And, and there's sometimes that strife. That can't be us, by the way. We can't look at the generation around here and act like, well, that's not my mission field. It is all of our mission field that we reach the people coming behind us with the love of Christ. By the way, with all the craziness, and there are some strange views going on, it's really sad what we see happening and the viewpoints of these generations coming behind us. But, but listen, they're not beyond the reach of the gospel. Think about with me, some of you are older, how crazy, how depraved were the 1960s and the 1970s? How depraved were they? All this drugs, this free love philosophy, all the wreckage and lives there. Listen, if God can do a great work even in those decades, he can do a great work in these decades. Think about, I think about people like Greg Laurie, uh, a well-known pastor in California, does a lot. Uh, he was saved in that time, the, the Jesus movement that arose during those turbulent times of the 1960s and early 70s and all that. God can do the same thing here. Let's keep moving toward people. When we think about millennials and we think about Gen Z, we're not going to win them to Christ through our anger. We're not going to win them to Christ. Well, I know what I'll do. I'm going to send an angry social media post to tell them how wrong they are and how right I am. That'll really get them. That's not... That's not what we see our Savior doing. No, we're not agreeing with things that are not true at all, but we're moving toward people in the love of Jesus, what we see Jesus doing right here. In fact, if you think about the anger, where did Jesus have anger? It's for these Pharisees who were criticizing him for being around the lost people, who had no compassion for unbelievers. We need to think like our Savior. I'm going to move toward unbelief. Yes, it's unpleasant. Sometimes the people we're going to, they're angry, they're intolerant. These lost sheep sometimes bite but we're still moving toward them with compassion. But in that process, let's not compromise the gospel. When I was in high school, I remember some of my Christian friends, they still wanted to go to all the drinking parties. And if you think about it, drinking parties, high school, everybody's underage, nobody should be there at all. I had a couple of Christian friends, they say, I, I go to those. And why do you go to those? Well, I want to show them that I'm a Christian, that you can have a good time without drinking. And I thought, I, I think that's compromise. Think that, and I still, think, I still think I was correct on that, on that one. I think that's compromise. They would cite Jesus, though. Jesus would hang around with sinners. And I think, yeah, he, he did. But there was never any confusion of what he was there for. It wasn't like he was condoning and agreeing with sin. He was there to reach sinners. Everybody knew why. They were flocking to him knowing he's different here. 
And he was there to reach them. So let's, let's avoid compromise on this. Oh, but let's go. Let's not be apathetic. Let's move toward them. I've known some Christians who've done this really admirably. Instead of staying in the Christian bubble because they're surrounded by Christians, maybe where they work. I've known one brother who said, I'm going to start taking a martial arts class so that I can be around lost people. Because I don't see enough of them where I work. So if you work at the International Mission Board, if you work at Staples Mill Road Baptist Church, we have this wonderful joy of being around believers most of the time. But looking for some way, how do I, how do I interact with unbelievers? Some of you have it built into where you work or where you go to school. I know, I know one person, a professor at a seminary, instead of working out for free in the gym at the seminary, he thought, I'm, I'm always around Christian people. So I'm going to pay money to go to another gym out in the community so that at least I have access to, to unbelievers. It'd be more convenient and much cleaner and nicer at the seminary where it's free, but I'm going to do this outside so I have access to unbelievers. So listen, let's, let's recapture together a heart for lost people like the heart of God. Let's recapture our sense of mission. And maybe you wonder, how do I recapture that if I've lost that? I am angry and I'm perturbed. I'm irked by the culture and I don't love that. How do you rekindle that? It's, listen, it's by abiding in Christ. It's every day committing yourself. I need to be in the presence of God. If I'm gonna pick up his heart for lost people, I gotta, I gotta spend time with Jesus. And you open up that Bible and you consistently walk through the scriptures that you might hear the heart of God and have his heart become your heart. Spend time daily in the scriptures. Pray in response to what you read in the Bible and rise up on the mission that God has given you to have an impact in this world among lost people. He's seeking and saving the lost. He's sending you and me out for that mission. One other thing I want us to see quickly is here is that salvation is worthy of celebration. Salvation is worthy of celebration. Look at verse seven, then look at verse nine. I mean, verse 10 again. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous person who needs no repentance. Do you hear the word joy there? Verse 10, same idea. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I hear the love of God in that celebration, don't you? That he reaches out to lost people, brings them in, and he's not indifferent about it. Oh, good, another one. Okay, another one saved. It's not some cold transaction. Do you hear there's celebration in the heart of God, celebration in the angels of God when a sinner repents? That speaks to how, how much love there is in the heart of God to draw people to himself. The sinner himself rejoices and heaven rejoices. God is not cold. He's not aloof. He truly loves and celebrates the reaching and the saving of people who will put their faith in him. So today, let's join God in that joy. So who do you know who's lost? When I ask you, who's lost in your life? Who comes to mind? And this, who will you invite this week to a table with you? These Pharisees were upset because Jesus would eat with sinners. Well, this week, maybe got, that would be an application for you. I'm going to eat with somebody who's far from Jesus. Maybe invite them into your home. Somebody you've been talking to. Hey, would you like to come over and just hang out and get to know each other better? Or maybe it's not that. Maybe that doesn't fit your context. Maybe it's, hey, would you like to grab some coffee at Panera this week and just catch up, see how things have been going? A very genuine, loving conversation. Maybe it's at a park. Maybe it's in your car or whatever. But just want to talk to somebody. want to sit with them and have a genuine, loving conversation about Jesus in their lives. And then finally this, maybe you're the lost sheep today. Maybe you're the one who's a lost coin. You realize, you know, I, I have strayed. I don't know him. Is there any hope for me? Yes. Jesus came for you. Jesus became a man, lived a perfect life that none of us did, died on a cross to cover all of your sins, was raised from the dead. And his promise is, if you'll turn and believe in him, you won't perish, but you'll have everlasting life. Let's pray together.